Don't turn it off now. You need this stuff. Tampa Bay's Tantalk Radio Network. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make their bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Largo Road, near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. August 23rd. Today, Donald Healy and a team of drivers will take out a prototype of the new Austin Healy 100S for a 24-hour endurance run. This is a test which has proven too much for many sports cars. The only modification on this new competition racing car is the fitting of disc wheels to accommodate the large section tires needed to withstand the prolonged high speed. Three-hour driving shifts will be shared by M. Morris Goodall, R. Jackson Moore, Carol Shelby, Donald Healy, and Captain Easton. This green car will be the first production sports car to have disc brakes as standard equipment. Will the Austin Healey 100S stand up to the grueling hours of high speed, strain, and stress ahead? That's what Donald Healey, the crew of drivers, the technicians, and observers are here to find out. Their faith in this car is terrific. Healey uses special anti-glare sunglasses for protection from the blazing sun on this official run. A little grease on the nose reduces sun and wind burn. The crew readies the car for its great trial. Last-minute inspections are made. New plugs are inserted. The fuel tank is filled. And the car is ready. There's a final word between Mr. Healy and Captain Easton and an exchange of good wishes. A clearance from the AAA officials. The Austin Healy 100S is on the starting line. Here's its chance to show what it can do. Three, two, one. She's off! One hundred and thirty-four miles an hour. Air ruled jointly here. Carol Shelby relieves Captain Easton. And back to the track. Day gives way to twilight. Flares are lit as course markers. And the car goes on through the night. Stopping every three hours at the pit. M. Morris Goodall takes over at the wheel. The trial goes on, around and around the oval, piling up miles, piling up records. No wonder everyone's jubilant. Designers, drivers, mechanics, and the ever-present AAA cheer the success of the Austin Healey 100S. Austin Healey has racked up 83 national and international Class D records. The 100S has averaged 132.29 miles an hour, equaling the distance from New York to San Francisco in less than 24 hours. Designing, engineering, craftsmanship, truly a magnificent achievement. More personally, the five drivers who proved the Austin Healey 100S have earned the right to be proud. And here is the man responsible, Donald Healey, the Wizard of Warwick, designer of the fabulous Austin Healey 100. Hi everybody, this is David Hobbs, racing driver and speed commentator, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us downtown. No, you can see us here, downtown. <laughs> 
No, you can see us here live in the... Hey, guys, it's one of those days. You can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Or you could just follow the trail of broken British car parts all the way to the studio. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get into that in a minute. But anyway, hey, check out our website. Run to our... Check out our... Check out our website, golfstreetmotorsports.com. If you've missed any... Hopefully it's working. It is at least working. <laughs> yeah, because we're having some... I mean, it must be really... Uh, I don't, we'll get into that in a minute. You know, you ever have, you ever have one of those days, right, Bobby? Today's one of those days. Okay, so anyway, uh, yeah. So run There's to no our, beat button here. <laughs> run to your computers and uh, no, wait, check out our check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com. If you've missed any of our past shows, go to the podcast page, which is Nostalgic Region Cars. You can hear all 306 now, 306 past shows with some very interesting guests, by the way. And uh, don't forget to like us on Facebook. And Bobby, why don't you go ahead and do the social media thing because you're better at it than I am. Yes, uh, Facebook and LinkedIn, we're Nostalgic Radio and Cars, as well as YouTube, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Periscope, Twitter, at NRC On Air. At NRC On Air. I'll get that memorized one of these days. Anyway, so, yes, we had, uh, you know, the thing is, is when you have an old car, um, you you have to have uh, patience. Is that a good word for it, Bobby? Yeah, and you probably shouldn't have a radio show on the same day. <laughs> when you drive, when you plan on driving your old vintage nostalgic car. Now, granted, we are nostalgic radio and cars, but I used to be in Nostalgic Auto, which was a, my salvage charge that I had for a number of years. I was also a licensed car dealer in the state of Florida. I've also been a, a an appraiser, do valuations on rolling stock cars, boats, motorcycles, things of that nature um, for the last 30-some-odd years. So at any rate, but I've always had vintage cars. In fact, my first car, now we played the little thing this, at the beginning of the show about Austin Healey's. My first car was a 1965 Austin Healey. Now, for the Austin Healey fans out there, and by the way, sh- big shout-out to the Tampa Bay British Car Club. Well, actually, it's the Tampa Bay Austin Healey Club. And, uh, oh, yeah, time for a speed culture minute here. So we're going to give these guys a big shout-out because uh, every year in October in downtown Safety Harbor, the whole street's blocked off. And, uh, no, it's not a street party. It's a car street party. A street car party. No, car street. A party for cars, okay? And we take up the whole street. But anyway, so the uh, Tampa Bay uh, Austin Healy Club puts on this event. They've done it for the last, I think this is the 30th year. They used to do them in Tampa. I think we used to do it way back when in the 80s. 90s. We used to do it over Picnic Island in Tampa. There might have been another spot, but I know I started going over to Picnic Island. We used to have a car show. We had a swap meet and all kinds of cool stuff. It was kind of neat, you know, real casual, nonchalant, kind of an impromptu type deal. Just run what you brung and who cares? Have a have a ball. And, of course, everybody had tools because, you know, British cars have a bad habit of, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, they're kind of like Italian cars. I'm not going to just totally discount British cars because uh, I will say one thing. Some German cars... And I'm a German car guy. You know, like Porsches don't typically have a lot of problems, but they do have minimal problems compared to British and Italian cars. Uh, let's just go with uh, Czechoslovakian, you know, Skodas and Russian Tatras and Trabants and other kind of weird stuff. And, you know, uh, Swedish cars, Volvos, fairly reliable, but still had issues. I mean, European cars, let's say all the cars had problems, okay? But British cars kind of, you know, they, they we, we poke fun at them, particularly because of their electrical issues. Now, a big Man, shout-out. show's great. A <laughs> uh, big shout-out to our friends down at Glenn's MGs, because we have kind of been working on this uh, 1974 MGB GT, which is kind of a cool car. It's kind of, it's nicknamed Miss Moneypenny. And uh, I'm a huge James Bond fan. Of course, James Bond drove Aston Martins. Now, Aston Martin are probably the in terms of pecking order in British cars, is top of the line. But they were not without problems, okay? Uh, but they were very well engineered, probably in the late 50s, early 60s. When I say engineered, you know, they were, they were kind of pretty decent cars, okay? The, some of their early DB4s, DB5s were Italian-bodied cars made in Turin by Superleggera. They were aluminum-bodied cars, and those were pretty cool, but that was it. Then the next car down was the Jaguar, obviously. Then the Healey, okay? And then Triumphs, MGs, and... Mini Coopers, I guess, if you want to look at it in terms of the more popular British cars. And uh, but but I will say this, you know, there's nothing like driving a, an an old vintage sports car, and that's the allure. Yeah, granted, you got to carry a toolbox with you, and you got to have some mechanical knowledge because 
uh, stuff's going to happen. It's going to happen regardless of whether you own a 65 Mustang or whether you have a 61 Lincoln Continental or whether you drive a Camaro Firebird. You know, something's going to go wrong. It's just with American cars, you're more inclined to it's, – it's not going to be the typical thing. It's just going to be something, you know, sil- silly, but it's usually a cheap, quick fist. On a British car, it's a little bit more complicated. For example – for example, on the way over here, we were scurrying. Bobby had some stuff he had to do today, so I was in my office prepping for the show because we got a very, very special guest coming on this evening. And uh, this gentleman was uh, involved with British cars, and obviously uh, the the hint at the beginning of the show was Austin Healy. So I'm delighted to help this gentleman on the show this evening, and uh, this is going to be a great show. Last week we had Bob Tullius on who raced uh, British sports cars. He owned and, and formed the well-known and very successful racing team Group 44, so the people that like British cars are 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 true car enthusiasts. You have to be to to own one and maintain one. And and what's interesting about the British car guys is many of those guys own not just one, sometimes two and three British cars. No different than American car guys have you know maybe Mustang, a Ford of some kind, a Chevrolet or a Pontiac or something like that. Or a guy that have German cars might have a BMW, might have a Porsche, might have uh, an Audi or something like that. So you know a lot of guys that are true car collectors and enthusiasts have multiple cars because if they've been doing it for some length of time they've got more than one car and what typically happens and you'll see this and this is where a lot of these tv shows come in and i'm guilty of it you know when i was in salvage our business i'd buy a car i say oh, i'm gonna fix this car next thing you know i'd find another one the first car got shoved in a corner i acquired another one i put that in the shop started working on that then i found another one i said oh man i want to tinker this not that i was necessarily fickle it's just that you kind of you're almost like a car hoarder, you know, you're like the TV show. You know, you hoard these things, you know, and you know in the back of your mind, you know, and, and I will say this about collectible cars. Money is made in buying, not selling, okay, because when you buy the car right, if you buy it and flip it, if you buy it right, operative word, buy it right, and you flip it, you'll, you'll do okay. If you buy the car, you start restoring the car, and you fall in love with the car, and you start putting more money than the car is worth in the car, Nah, that's a different story, okay? But then you do it out of passion, hopefully, you know, because that's why I always tell people, too. And you've heard this over and over and over. If you're going to do a car, do one that if you have to do it and you have to put a lot of money in it and you will be stuck with it, it's something you like. Okay, now, back to the little MGB GT. So Aston Martin is kind of like the top-of-the-line car. Now, in 68 and a half, 69, um, we talked about this briefly last week, MG. B came out with a six-cylinder version that was called the MGC, okay? Now, I had a little debate with a friend of mine the other day because I was jokingly saying, well, the MGB GT is the poor man's Aston Martin. One guy said Jag, and I said, no, it's more of an Aston Martin because it's more of a GT-style car. The the, the E-Type is, is just, wow, the E-Type is just a, it's a stunning car. It's uh, a timeless car, no different than an Austin Healey, for example, but the Jag is just, it was kind of like an early modern-day supercar in a way. You know, and the Aston Martin was, too. The Aston Martin was more of a GT touring car, gentlemen's, you know, sedan, GT touring car, high-speed car. Not quick, but fast, okay? The E-Type was just sleek, so it was almost more of a supercar in a way, you know? And um, more, more along the lines of a Ferrari, kind of like, you know, but... But still, it's it just uh, the, the basically the the E type was kind of like a Porsche. It was in a league of its own because a Porsche is really not. It's a sports car, but it's not really a GT car. But the Aston Martin, the DB5s, DB4s, DB6s, DBSs, and so on and so on and so on, and the early DB2s, they were more of a GT sports sedan, GT touring kind of car. Okay, so four passenger kind of car. But anyway, so the the MGB. Am I rambling, Bobby? I am. Coming. Hold it, lawyer. Nobody talks to me like that when I'm doing my judging. <laughs> you you always manage to find the appropriate ones. That's good. That's good. So at any rate, so the MGB GT. Okay. So getting back to the thing. So here I am working, and I figured, okay, um, I, we're just going to drive this thing because I was going to take it to the shop, switch trucks, and, and drive the GT. So what happened was, besides all my electrical problems, and I will give a big shout out to Glenn's MGs down there, our friends down at uh, in St. Pete. If you got an MG or any British car, take it to Glenn's MGs because Glenn can fix these cars. But anyway, so I have to pick his brains all the time. He lets me rummage through his boneyard. Oh, it's time to take a little uh, yeah, song break. Yeah, it's time to take a music okay, of your life. I mean, that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hey, we're... we're uh, <laughs> Bobby's giving me a cue. We're going to take a little break here for a second, and I'm going to catch my breath, and I'll finish my MGBGT story. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgia Getting Cars. Don't touch that dial. we got a very, very special guest coming on this evening, and we're going to be talking about Austin Healy's.
Talk Radio Network with the music of your life. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer one, and great desserts. They even make the bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. This is Brian Redman, retired racing driver, nine times road racing champions, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you are listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Now, where was I about my MGB GT? Okay, now, don't get me wrong. This is a cool little car. It's a little hatchback. It's got a full-down back seat. I'm giving it a little bit of a British flair. You know, I put racing seatbelts in it the other day. Yeah, and I put uh, put a Le Mans gas cap on, and I found some early bumpers. And I will say that the British Car Network, Car Guy Club Network here, is pretty cool. And again, you know, I, I I jokingly pick on the British cars and stuff like that, but I really truly like them. And my goal is again is to own an Austin Healey, like my very first one, which was a 1965 Austin Healey BJ8 Phase One. Now, for the Healey guys, I know what I'm talking about. Phase One, Phase Two. It's an early BJ8 single uh, marker light car. Anyway, so here's the deal. So Bobby and I are in a hurry to get to the radio station. Now, you guys have no idea how much preparation goes into these shows, which I spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours doing, not to mention the research on whoever the particular guest is, trying to find clips, trying to find songs, and all this other kind of stuff, because you spend, you spend hours. And I pretty much dedicate all Tuesday to that, sometimes beforehand, if I know who the guest is going to be, which we do sometimes, but not always. So at any rate... So we jump into the MGBGT to get our way over here, and I noticed that after getting some of the electrical issues working, of course, last time we were taking it around the block, and we had no lights. So then I had to pull a switch apart, which went bad, and then I had to jump some wires. I got the lights working inside marker lights, which I thought I had resolved, but it turned out that the switch was bad. Okay, so now we get in the car. We're on our way here. We're hurrying to get here. All of a sudden, the pedal starts disappearing for the clutch, the third pedal, you know, because you got three if you got a stick shift, right? This is a four-speed overdrive car with wires. It's pretty cool looking. Oh, yeah, I put knockoffs on it, too. Anyway, am I talking fast? Right. Okay. So for those of you guys with British cars, you can follow me. The guys with the American cars are going, what the? What you talking about? Oh, our cars work. Yeah, our <laughs> cars work. Right. Anyway. Oh, yeah. That's the other thing. Because I got two twin carburetors. I thought they were called SUs, but they're called HIFs, fours. Okay. And they got rubber diaphragms and all kinds of goofy little things in them. So you got to run non-ethanol fuel in these things. Otherwise, you'll disintegrate the gaskets. So that's the other thing you have to do with this car. But anyway. All right. So the, the, the clutch pedal starts to disappear. And I'm going, uh-oh. And it gets Don't softer. Don't make me come up. I'm sorry. I got to call you back. Uh, <laughs> it starts to the pretty much... Halfway here, I've got no clutch. Okay, let's just say it went. It's a hydraulic clutch. It's not mechanical linkage like, you know, a normal car. Uh, so then my son, who has kind of have been through this before with some of these other cars that I've had, little, but, but always something different. We've had little issues, right, Bobby, you know, with cars in the past. This is the first time we actually ever lost a clutch. So I literally had to show him how when you throw the car in neutral, you coast to a traffic light, you stop. You put it in gear, and you start it in gear, and then you, you hopefully can get it going a little bit. And then you run it, and then if you hit the right RPM, sometimes you can just luckily get it in the gear without grinding. Well, this one is not a really nice, nice synchro mesh kind of gearbox. It kind of works, but it kind of doesn't work that well. So anyway, we're in second gear. Well, I oh had yeah, first and second gear. Started first, second gear, all the way here for about three, four miles, five miles, whatever we had, six miles, something like that we had to drive. So at every traffic light, I either had to time them 
run them or uh, stop at them and start it in gear. And, of course, that's not a big deal. It's just that when you're in a bunch of traffic, the guy around you, behind you, and next to you is yeah, kind of like... ever been to downtown Clearwater? <laughs> yeah, downtown Clearwater on Myrtle Avenue. Uh, yeah, that was kind of an interesting experience. So now Bobby got to experience what it's like to... Um, ride in the car with no clutch, and you have to do it, you know, you improvise, you know, and it's like I told Bobby, you don't panic, you use your head, you think, you stop, count to 10, take a deep breath, and go, okay, what do we do? Oh, yeah, by the way, the passenger seat's not bolted in in the car, so it's just sitting there. So basically, but the seatbelts are bolted in. So, we, so click it or take it. <laughs> yeah, so click it. So basically, I had Bobby, because we got racing lap belts in the old hook type, so I had him put those in, so if nothing else... Even though the seat's not bolted in, the seat belts are, everything will hold them in place. And yeah, that's, I know. That's, <laughs> that's I, I told him when we were walking out the door. I said, you're not you're, talented. You're not funny. I told him as we were walking out the door, I said, this is going to be an adventure. Okay. Because my wife said something about, why don't you take the other car or the truck? And I go, no, this is going to be fun. And of course, we know we have no lights. And I have to basically jump the wires with a paper clip to have lights on. So anyway, hey. Oh, yeah, don't forget, this weekend, Le Mans 24-hour race, Sack Shelby meet in mid-Ohio, and then the Safety Harbor event, October 22nd, by the Tampa Bay Austin Hill Club. Hey, you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back, and we're going to have our special guest on for the evening. in Healy's, the 104, the 106, and the 3000 are among today's most collectible sports cars. The big Healy's led a revolution in the early 1950s. They were the first 100 mile an hour car the man in the street could afford. In 1968, the line was discontinued. But the Healy's are still seen by enthusiasts as great British sports cars. This is Alan Vicadinet, elderly racer and raconteur, as you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest this evening. And uh, as a matter of fact, this gentleman was very much involved in the uh, development of the early Big Heelys. Some people refer to him as the father of the Big Heelys. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Jerry Coker. Jerry, how you doing? Fine, thanks. So, tell us a little bit about your experience growing up in England, just outside of Coventry, and how you were influenced by cars as a youngster. Well, I think um, ever since I could uh, stand up, I was drawing cars. I didn't know anything about them. I was just like drawing cars, drawing cars, drawing cars. And it was a hobby. So... Um, Eventually, uh, let's see, when I was 16, I joined the uh, Humber Car Company as a, as a uh, design apprentice for five years and then um, was, was employed by them after. 
So, anyhow, what other questions do you have? Oh, I have lots of questions for you. So, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> you're ready. Okay, very good. Uh, when you're uh, when you started working as an apprentice, okay, um, somewhere I was reading a lot of the models that you built. Even when you were a youngster, you built a lot of those models out of clay because obviously that was before the days of plastic. But did you do much drawing beforehand, or did you just have a concept in your head and then you just made a clay model out of it? Uh, yes, that's it. That's what I did. Sort of a hobby, hobby uh, thing, drawing and then then making a model. But um, I didn't make any really uh, professional models until I got to Healy's, which uh, I think I was about 30 then, 29, something like that. But uh, And I really didn't do style any cars, um, only for fun. Oh, I'd, I'd study uh, cars in the street and wonder why they did this and why did they do that and, and so on and so forth. So I was interested in styling, but I never did. I wasn't a stylist, and uh, I never did any styling. Uh, when I was an apprentice, I went through the drawing office, body engineering, through the shops, machining and all that stuff, and... Uh, eventually finish up, I think, when I was 21, in the advanced engineering department at Umbers. And we used to design uh, all sorts of cars there, but which never got outside because they were experimental. So that's about all I can say of that, unless you've got any more questions on Oh, Oh, yeah, I have lots of questions. That's my job as an interviewer is to keep you busy. (laughs) Okay, so now when you work for Humber, Humber was part of, was that part of Roots Group at the time? Yes. Okay, so the Humber was uh, basically Humber, Hillman, uh, Sunbeam, I believe was around back then. And then somewhere I was reading, and I thought Talbot was a French car, but Talbot was uh, part of Roots Group? Yes. Well, it was Sunbeam Talbot. Oh, okay, some beam Talbot, okay. Yes. I didn't have anything to do with those. I mean, they were uh, just just cars, <coughs> cars to me. Okay. Now tell us a little bit about when you were working in the experimental department. So if you were working on experimental cars, like, for example, today or even in the 50s, a lot of the experimental stuff was to kind of were basically styling exercises to get an idea of what how people would react if they were designing a car for market. So was that the same concept back when you were designing cars for Humber? No, I, do, I wasn't designing cars for Humber. I was just uh, a designer in the uh, in the body engineering section. Oh, okay. I didn't design... <laughs> I might design a bracket or some, some uh, small things or bits of seats and things like that. I didn't really design any big stuff until I got to Fords. Fords? When, when I was over here. Oh, oh, okay. Well, let's. I'll tell you what. Let's go. Let's let's jump to Healy real quick, and then we can get into the Ford and the and some of the other stuff that you worked on. So, for example, okay. So when you got your job with, you went to Healy in what 1950, correct? Yes. Okay. But the thing is, the thing is, there. <clears throat> I worked uh, for for Humber, um, and then I got a job as, with a, um, a design company in London who uh, ran out of money after two years. So then I went back to live in Coventry, and, of course, I was looking for a job. And um, a friend of mine said, well, Healy's looking for a a body engineer. So I thought, well, that that sounds pretty good. And he said, I'll arrange an interview for you. So he did that, and uh, Donald Healy interviewed me in in his home. And I showed him things that I'd done, sketches and engineering drawings and styling drawings and uh, that sort of thing. And he said, yes, you, you'd fit in pretty well. So that's how I got there uh, as a body engineer. He was, um, he just started making Nash Heelys, which uh, <clears throat> they got uh, engines from Nash. And he had a company building a body which was already designed when I got there, and uh, it was my job to uh, make sure that they uh, went they were the way they were supposed to, 
and to make any changes and, and so on and so forth. So I was really his body engineer. There are no no other body engineers in Healy's. They were a small company, and um, I must have been the chief body engineer because I was the only one there. <laughs> he, he had a chassis designer, uh, so we there were two of us, a chassis designer and me, the body engineer. Well, uh, so one day um, he comes in and says, I'm, I'm thinking, I've been to America, and looking back over things, they, we need another car in between the MG and the XK120. And, and I'd, uh, I, I think we could do that. So he, or his, he said, see Jeff, that's his son, about the wheelbase, engine, all the other stuff, and then see what you can come up with for a body shape. So you see, I'd shown him things that I did uh, styling-wise as a hobby. So he knew that I was interested in styling cars, although I'd never done one. So he says, uh, see what you can come up with, and uh, I'd like something in a month. Well, I said, I can never design a, a full-size body in a month. I, I need to um, make clay models and stuff like that. Uh, so what I'll do, I'll make a... All the drawings I do when we find something we like will be one-eighth scale so that you'll, when you look at it, you'll know exactly what it's going to look like. It won't be a stylist sketch. There won't be time for that. So he agreed, so that's what I did. Um, of course, it, while I'm doing that, I'm thinking, what am I doing? We've got all these uh, other companies, including Roots and uh, Triumph and MG. They've all got professional stylists, and here's me thrown in the deep end, I uh, don't know what I'm doing. So that didn't matter, I did it anyway. So anyway, eventually, first of all, I designed the car which um, had a uh, slight fin on the tail. That was the in thing in those days, was a uh, sort of small stabilizing fin. Well, anyway... Uh, we tried that. It didn't look good. But the thing is, I, with a firm like Healy's, there are no product planners, no engineers from other divisions. It's Donald and me. So I have to convince him this is what we should do, which, which he most often agreed. Sometimes he didn't. Uh, so well, after I'd done the I designed a shape that I thought that was the best I can do. Well, he said, uh, well, I'm off to America in, uh, for a couple of weeks. See what else you can come up with. Well, <clears throat> I couldn't come up with anything else because I'd already done all I could. So I said, all right. Well, anyway, I couldn't come up with anything else. So I... Got made a full-size drawing of the Healy 100, pinned it on the big drafting board at the proper height so that when he came back from his trip, the first thing he sees when he walks in the door is this Healy 100 shape. So, of course, he comes in and says, Oh, you're still playing around with that thing? Or some such, some such uh, words. And I said, yes, that's the best I can do. I've tried everything else, and that's it. That's the best I can do. So he said, all right, well, um, we'll get some people in then to uh, put in some bids for, for making that body. <clears throat> well, then he's just leaving the office, and he said, oh, by the way, I want to fold flat windshield on that thing. Well and then slams the door and he's gone. I couldn't put a fold flat windshield on it like an MG because of the shape of the body. So the only thing I could do after looking, weighing everything up was to take the windshield right off the car and uh, reattach it lower down with links, which is what I did. So I made um, cardboard uh, templates, 
showing how it would work, uh, and so on and so forth. So that's how you got the fold-flat windshield, which uh, incidentally increased the car's speed above 100 to by 6 miles an hour when the windshield was folded down. And of course, the car looked 10 times better with the windshield folded down than it did without it. So that's the story there. Then he still didn't like the car. So one day uh, he was... Uh, see, we only had this one car, which when you've got one car, that's it. We didn't have much money. Uh, so uh, when the car's built, it wasn't a case of saying, well, we'll change this. I want a different back on it. I don't like you came with a big company. And he said, I don't like the front. Well, I said, I don't like it either, but it's made now. But I said, uh, uh, the thing is, it's too narrow. It needs three inches adding to each side. So he said, well, can you, can you do that? And I said, yes, we can change it. So I, I took the front off, had it uh, modified six inches wider. <clears throat> and I thought it looked pretty good. But anyway, he didn't. He thought it still looked pretty bad. So when the, then comes the time for the Earl's Court show, which is what the car was built for, designed and built for, and we only had one, and we were hoping that uh, maybe um, we could sell one or two a week. And previously he said to me, you know, if this thing doesn't sell, it might be a good idea if you start looking for another job, <laughs> because we'll just be a glorified garage. Okay, keep no, going. I'm just taking a drink of water. Oh, okay, that's so, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, no, I'll, I'll stick it out and see how it goes. Well, he said, I, I'm, I don't like, I'm not going to put the car in the show. I don't know what to do with it. Anyway, the chief uh, mechanic <clears throat> said, oh, he thought it was super. The car was super. He said, we've got to get that car in the show. Whatever Don thinks, we've got to get it in the show. And he says, I'll arrange to have it shipped there at night on the company truck. So he arranged to have it shipped there. And, of course, Donald finds out and says, well, I, I don't want it showing. I want the, uh, I don't like the front. So he said, just make sure you show it with the front hidden in the bushes. They have the ornamental uh, pots of bushes. And so the car was put on the stand. Uh, it looked pretty good, just the back sticking out. It had a decent back. And uh, so, of course, all the um, uh, motoring correspondents on opening day or pre-opening day wanted to know what's wrong with the car. Why is it stuck in there amongst the bushes where, when we can't see it? So they made him drag it out. And, well, you know the rest. It became the hit of the show. <laughs> Much to my amazement. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, it look, look, Jerry, it looks as though we've got a winner here. Go and have a drink. <laughs> so that was it. That was my bonus. I got a free gin and tonic. <laughs> now, what was it? When you said you widened the front end, what did the original concept look like? Was the, was the grill different? The fenders pulled in a little bit more? No, what? no, no, only the grill. Only the grill, okay. Only the grill. The grill was based on his original designs, which was a narrow cut kite-shaped grill. Okay. And, uh, of course, that didn't go with a low, wide body. And so I did increase it. I, I wanted to use that grill. And I uh, discussed it with Don. I said, what, what would you like the front to look like? And he said, well, I, I don't know. I said, well, I think you should use your grill uh, so that people know that that's a Healy coming down the road. And I'll, I'll make it a bit wider. Well, I did make it wider, but I didn't make it wide enough. Of course, eventually, it, as it went out, it, it was wide enough. And um, 20 years later, when I met him at one of the Healy shows, which I used to get invited to eventually, uh, he said, well, I agree. <laughs> the grill does go with that car. So it took him 20 years to make his mind up that it was the right thing. So we're all right there. That's so that was about the end of the Healy 100. But I designed the inside and the seats and the instrument, everything. Everything you can see on the Healy 100, I designed. <laughs>
that's the best way. Anything you can't see, I had nothing to do with. Okay. Like the engine and so on. Interesting. Well, now, you said, uh, I, I, what was the inspiration for that overall design. Now, there was a gentleman by the name of Sam Pierto, which was a design company that you worked for at one point in time, and I guess yes. you guys collaborated on stuff. He was kind of an influence to you, correct? Oh, yes. I worked for him for a lot of, a long time. I worked for him when I was an apprentice. He was an Italian engineer, although he had no influence on me regarding style. Okay. The, the, the influence I got was from... Uh, magazines and things, all Italian car bodies. I, I really admired Italian design. They were simple uh, and, to me, very attractive. And I used to show Donald these uh, Italian cars whenever I saw one of the car in a book, say, what do you think of this? You know, so he knew, he felt the same way. He liked them too. So uh, I guess I was halfway there then because... He liked what I liked. The only thing is I could draw and he couldn't. <laughs> so. Now, the, the early Nash Healy was designed by somebody else, but the second Healy, Nash Healy, was designed by Pinaferina, right? Oh, yes, yes. I had nothing to do with that. No, but the, so your concept for the original Healy, the 104, where did that come from? Was that was just because you looked at Italian car magazines and it was something you had in your head that you envisioned? Yes. Okay. It's that, just... I liked it. I just drew, actually, what it amounted to, really, looking back, I drew a car for me. Okay. And uh, I was lucky that I drew a car for me. Of course, I've never had one, but, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's that. Now, the 3000, or the 106, came out in about 56, 57, it was a mid-year car. Now, uh, somewhere I was reading that you had a little influence in designing, redesigning the grill for the uh, the infamous MK2, MK1, 2s, and 3s? Yes. Um, the first thing was that he came in one day and said uh, it would be nice if we could get two kids in the uh, behind the driver's seat. So we'll increase the wheelbase two inches and show me you can get two kids behind the driver's seat. So... I did that, showed him that you could get two little kids behind the seat, and um, Jensen's got the job to do the car. I had nothing else to do with it. I was three, dumb then. Uh, I was working on the Sprite. So uh, he comes in one day <clears throat> and says, you've got to get over to Jensen's right now and do something with the front. They're ruining the front end of the car. So I said, okay, so I did. Um, of course, the, the chief designer at uh, Jensen's was too pleased to see me because I'm coming over to show him how to design the front end of a car, which, which, he did, which he'd done. Uh -huh. So he, did, he designed it, and uh, Donald didn't like it. I didn't like it. So, but I couldn't change any sheet metal which meant that the, the hole in the body had to stay the same. Well, the grill was recessed into the front end of the car, two or three inches, which was the big problem. Now, if I couldn't change anything, I had to bring the grill out forward so that it was not submerged in the body, which left a big gap over the top between the sheet metal and the grill. So <clears throat> that's where I come in and design this chrome top over the top. And that, that was my contribution. Oh, okay. Filling in the gap with a piece of, piece of chrome. Interesting, but, uh, you know, they, they sound silly, these things, but uh, they're not really. That's the way it goes. Well, but, but you know that was kind of like the milestone because that that's that was kind of like the big significant thing with a with a you know 106 and yeah. all the way up to the MK3s and uh, yeah. that worked yeah. very well. It's very very nicely done. I mean, and I have to say this because my first car was an MK3 3000, an Austin Healey, oh, good. and uh, it was a 65 early car, so it was an MK, it was a Phase One, 
And that's why that's what attracted me to that car. Um, the, I like the 104s because I like the lay down windshield, but I didn't like the four cylinder. I wanted something a little peppier, so the 150 yeah. horsepower mm-hmm. six cylinder was the way to go. And yeah. to this day, I still think that the Austin Healey MK3 or the the big Healey or the 100s is probably when you when I think of a British sports car, I don't think of any other car on the planet. And, and I'm barring a Jag E type, which is a little bit different car, which we talked about earlier. But uh, Austin Healey MK3 or 3000 or 100 is the epitome of a British sports car. A well balanced, well designed, just very tastefully done car. And my hat goes off to you because you did an excellent job on that car. Well, that's very nice to hear. Anyway, you did the Bug Eye, the Bug Eye Sprite. Tell us a little bit about that car. Oh well. Now, that was going to be, Don wanted a car that uh, a chap could buy and put in his bicycle shed and work on himself. So that's why, uh, and the shape had to be very simple, no uh, style lines or anything like that. So the thought I had was very simple, um, concealed headlamps, no uh, deck lid, saves weight and everything else, and which which we made. And it looked pretty good. We called it the poor man's Ferrari because of the uh, no headlamps on it, the sloping, <coughs> sloping front. Uh, uh, when I left there, um, the prototype was made. It had no headlamps on, and it was painted Ferrari red. So that's the last time I saw that car was in the paint shop Ferrari red, the poor man's Ferrari. Of course, when uh, I saw one, I nearly had a fit for these. I couldn't see the car for these headlamps. All I could see these huge headlamps. Anyway, it became uh, cute. Over the years, it's become a cute car, which I wanted nothing to do with. But now it's cute. I designed it. <laughs> and you can take full credit for it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Excellent. Well, then, okay, so then, so that's late 50s. So then what happened to you then? You got recruited by an American car company and you came no, over to the United no, States? No, no, no. no. I, I was at uh, Healy's for uh, seven years, designed a lot of car bodies, and wasn't going anywhere. I mean, I was still there, the same as when I started, type of thing. And, uh, if I wanted more money, I had to ask for it. So my wife and I decided seven years and getting nowhere, it's time to change. So I talked to a friend of mine, the same San Pietro, and uh, he said, well, you should go to America. You'd like it there. And I said, well, certainly the weather's better. And uh, with my wife and I thought, we'll try it for a year. So... He arranged for an interview with me, with a a chief uh, something or other at General Motors, and we came over on the uh, Queen Elizabeth, and we're halfway here, and uh, I got a message saying that this chap that uh, San Pietro had arranged an interview for uh, had been fired. (laughs) So, So I didn't have a job to come to anyway. So when we got to uh, Detroit, um, I I had to look for a job. So eventually I found a job at uh, Chrysler, and then I finished up at Ford after 25 years, which, of course, I've been retired from for a few years. And uh, that's about it. Wow. Okay. And then you retired in what year? 87. 1987. Okay. And then uh, when did you move to Florida? 87. Oh, also in 87. Oh. Well, I had a heart attack in uh, 87 and the, when we lived in Detroit. <clears throat> and the surgeon said, you'd be better off somewhere where it's warmer. So uh, we, just, we came to Florida, looked at it, liked it, and um, used to come down and spend the winter here. Uh, now we're here full time. And frankly, it's too hot. <laughs> so we, we loved it once, now we don't like the heat. Gotcha. So what do you do? You know. That's true. 
<laughs> well, Jerry, we're just about up against the clock. I want to thank you very much for taking oh. some time out and coming on our radio show this evening. I want to thank my special guest this evening, Jerry Coker, father of the Austin Healy, the big Healy, the 100s and the 3000s, and the little bug guy. And, Jerry, I look forward to seeing you at some of the British car shows. In the meantime, I want to thank all my guests for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars this evening. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Bobby, go ahead and give out the uh, social media stuff. Yes, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Facebook and YouTube, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Facebook and uh, Twitter and Periscope, at NRC on Air. Okay, and that's it. And then don't forget to, uh, if you missed any of our past shows, to check out our podcast page on our website, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Of course, the website is Gulfstream Motorsports. Don't forget to check out Speed Culture, the enthusiast mobile app, if you want to find out where all the car shows are. Again, this weekend, Le Mans, okay? And uh, go to YouTube and check out some of the vintage uh, videos there because you can find some really cool stuff about Austin Healy's when they used to compete at uh, Bonneville when they were setting records. And also when they raced at Le Mans and Sebring in 1953. So anyway, hey, Jerry, are you still there? Yes. I think you had an anniversary yesterday, 63rd anniversary. Happy anniversary to you and your wife. Well, I'm 94, so. <laughs> you're, you're doing good. All right, Jerry, take care. Hey, guys, take care. Drive safely. Take care. Uh, how do I say that, Bobby? Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. That's it. to be telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. It broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You dumb cracker. Oh, yeah!